Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. It's Friday, May 5th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner is resigning after nearly six years in office. It will be up to Governor Mike Parson to choose her replacement. There is a process to go through, but look, I'm, I've already talked to the mayor. I, I would talk to her again. I would talk to other people that are in elected positions. Gardner has been facing criticism for how she managed the office and a removal attempt by Missouri's attorney general. Her departure leaves several questions, including whether Gardner's successor as St. Louis's top prosecutor can resolve major problems. St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All and Jason Rosenbaum talk about what's next for the circuit attorney's office. Jason, Kim Gardner has been under pressure for quite some time. What made her decide to resign? According to a statement, Gardner agreed to step aside to scuttle legislation that would have exerted more state control over the circuit attorney's office and the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. And Senate Minority Leader John Rizzo said that the circuit attorney broached that possibility when he talked with her earlier this week. Yeah, I mean, look, I definitely think that uh, her resignation uh, releases a lot of pressure on, on the, the, the uh, veracity of to do something in regards of state taking over different aspects of public safety in St. Louis, for sure. But let's be clear, that legislation was arguably the least of Gardner's concerns. She was facing a removal attempt from Attorney General Andrew Bailey, staff resignations, and possibly being held in contempt when one of her assistant circuit attorneys didn't show up for a case. There was plenty of evidence that her office was spiraling out of control, and perhaps this arrangement was a good way of extracting something tangible for the city of St. Louis. You mentioned uh, Attorney General Andrew Bailey's efforts to remove her from office. What happens with that now that she's resigning? Bailey put out a statement questioning why Gardner is, is waiting to resign until June 1st. And he said that the proceeding to oust Gardner will continue, but because the trial was not slated to begin until September, it's pretty unlikely that Bailey will have standing to remove someone who has already departed from office. Rizzo also says it's not particularly likely that Gardner will try to run for another term in 2024, adding that she, quotes wants to move on with her life. Governor Mike Parson will now be responsible for picking Gardner's uh, at least temporary replacement. What sort of complexities does he have in trying to make that appointment? Parson could conceivably pick anybody to replace Gardner, but depending on what his goals are, his choices really aren't unlimited. There aren't that many Republicans in the city of St. Louis, let alone a lot of Republican lawyers. And even if Parson picks a fairly conservative GOP successor to Gardner, that person will almost certainly lose an election in 2024 since the city is so Democratic. It's also possible Parson may choose a placeholder, like a retired judge, to solve a lot of the problems in the circuit attorney's office. Our Parson could think outside of the box and choose a Democrat, especially since he said he worked with people like St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones to pick Gardner's successor. I think I've proven time and time again, I've 
spent a lot of time in St. Louis trying to work with all the groups in St. Louis, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's civic groups, whoever it may be in this city trying to do. There is a process to go through, but look, I'm, I've already talked to the mayor. I, I would talk to her again. I would talk to other people that are in elected positions. But even when Gardner leaves, it seems like there's a lot of issues still surrounding the circuit attorney's office and trying to get it back to functioning. The staffing issues have been of huge concern to criminal justice advocates because there are so few attorneys left to prosecute cases. Defendants may languish in jail and arguably it's depriving their right to a speedy trial. Former Deputy Attorney General Joe Danderand says it may be time to ask surrounding prosecuting attorneys to help the city of St. Louis. But there are options there other than to just try to survive and make these people um, deal with this caseload with such a small number of staff. So it's not out of the question that whoever Parson picks to replace Gardner may reach out to prosecutors in St. Louis, St. Charles, Jefferson, and Franklin counties for help, or even Bailey's office, since the attorney general routinely assists on complex criminal cases in counties. St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum, thank you. Thank you. In other news, St. Louis's Detention Facilities Oversight Board is calling on city officials to compel the Division of Corrections to provide requested documentation on the City Justice Center. Board members say they have been stonewalled from obtaining use of force data and other information. They say certain members have also been denied entry into the jail. Board Chair Janice Mensa says restrictions have prevented board members from doing their duties. It's a failure on, on, on many parts and not following the ordinance, what we said we were going to do with this partnership. The city's Criminal Justice Coordinating Council says it aims to train the board on jail procedures and members will need to develop methods to obtain complaints. A judge's order temporarily stopping Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey's restrictions on transgender health care has been extended another two months. Both parties have agreed to push back the next court appearance until late July. That means Bailey's rule will not take effect at least until then. If approved, the rule would include requiring children and adults to resolve mental health concerns and get screened for autism before receiving gender-affirming care. A town in the Metro East is on this year's Most Endangered Historic Places list from Landmarks, Illinois. Brooklyn is roughly 15 miles from downtown St. Louis and is the oldest town in the U.S. to be incorporated by African Americans. Landmarks, Illinois, says that courage needs to be nurtured if the town of roughly 600 is to survive. Cameron Coutinello has more about other places on this year's list. The preservation group named nine buildings statewide as culturally significant and threatened by demolition or neglect. The list includes the Damon Grain Silos in Chicago and the Baxter International Headquarters in North Suburban Deerfield an affordable housing complex in Cairo that was built in the late 1960s and still houses residents, also made the list. So did a wooden bridge from the mid-1800s in McHenry County and the Old Laws Hotel in Charleston, which was first built in 1874 as a family home. I'm Cameron Coutinello. Missouri University of Science and Technology is looking to become more involved in educating younger students about science. The school has purchased a vehicle it calls the STEM-mobile. It will take portable experiments and other hands-on science opportunities to grade and high school students. S&T STEM Education Director Courtney Jones says the vehicle will make it possible to reach more children. There's a lot of logistics for schools to come to us, especially schools that are far away. And so what this does for us is be able to have maybe access to the entire school when we go there. 
The STEM mobile had a test run yesterday by setting up an inflatable planetarium for children in Rawa. A U.S. Department of Energy director was in St. Louis this week to recognize the Parkway School District for energy efficiency efforts. St. Louis Public Radio's Kate Grumpke reports. Behind Parkway South High School, students are playing kickball on a sunny day. It looks like they're on a normal grassy field, but there's something below ground that you wouldn't find at most schools. The geothermal plant's right under where they're playing, that's where the market That's Anushka Rawat, a senior in the school's AP environmental science class. Hundreds of feet underground, a geothermal system is using the Earth's temperature to cool and heat the school building. And it's all coming from the heat of the Earth and compression systems, which is a really cool opportunity, especially since it's renewable. This system is one of many sustainability efforts in Parkway. The district also has solar panels, LED lights, and even district-wide composting. Altogether, Parkway South is saving more than $100,000 a year in energy costs compared to 2017. All of that is why Maria Vargas is in town. She's director of the Better Buildings Initiative at the U.S. Department of Energy. I'm here to see firsthand what they're doing at this school district that allowed them to be so aggressive and successful in reducing energy waste. K-12 schools are the nation's second largest sector of public infrastructure spending behind roads and highways. Vargas also points out that schools stay in communities for a long time. Investing in our schools, our school facilities, and our school buildings is not only a really important thing to do for our community, but it's an important investment that's going to last. We walk past tennis courts into the school. A big room is full of humming equipment. Rawat points out compressors, pumps, and radiators. Those are the pumps down there, and that's what... AP environmental science teacher Russ Barton says students have led the way throughout Parkway's sustainability efforts. All this started with students. We've asked for a lot of things, and the kids have actually gotten those to come through. And these students will continue to lead. After graduation, Rawat is headed to Stanford University to study environmental studies and public policy. I'm Kate Grumke, St. Louis Public Radio. A fluorescent music teacher raised money for djembe drums to connect students to African culture. As St. Louis Public Radio's Brittany Cordera reports, the instruments are exposing students to rhythms rooted in black American music. On the floor of Anthony Griffin's music classroom at Commons Lane Elementary School are tambourines, maracas, frog-shaped guiros, and djembes. The fluorescent music teacher uses the instruments to help his students prepare for their spring recital. Harmony. Go get a tambourine. And then basic. Here on, you can get a cowbell. Look at a cowbell. The black thing with the little stick. At the beginning of the school year, Griffin realized he didn't have enough djembes to go around, and a lot of the old drums were in bad condition. So he raised more than $700 on a fundraising platform to buy 10 new ones. I didn't want them to feel like they missed an opportunity to play djembes, which are really, really, really important for rhythm. In a recent lesson, first graders practice keeping a steady beat to the song Can't Hold Us by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. During Black History Month, 
Griffin taught his students how important African drums are to Black American heritage and culture. Griffin says that message is often lost in too many schools. When people say, I'm a music teacher because I want to expose my students to different kinds of music, they usually mean European styles of music. They don't really mean, um, you know, African chants or uh, hip-hop or jazz or rock. A lot of music gets missed. The music teacher is a favorite of students like seven-year-old Elisa Lowe. She enjoys learning the djembe beats and connecting to songs she hears on the radio. Honestly, it was amazing because I think I heard of that song before. I played that on my mama radio. Griffin says the djembe is all about making connections between students and their heritage. I'm Brittany Cordera, St. Louis Public Radio. Our David Casares edited that report. Brian Moline was the editor on that piece from Kate Grumke. Ashley Lissenby is the news director of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.